0: Welcome to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, this is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight's Senior Living and I'm here today with Kate Bertram, the new president and CEO of St. Louis-based Christian Horizons Living, which has operations in four states in the Midwest. Kate, congratulations on your new position. Um, Thank you very much, Lois. You joined the organization in March 2022 as Chief Operations Officer. So I was wondering what appealed to you about this new opportunity.
1: Well, the Chief Operations Officer has the biggest impact to the daily results that our communities are are delivering back to the organization and the CEO role in what it should be is the ability to take that and scale the footprint of our business. And so I had many years in operations successfully implementing and uh, had spent a tremendous amount of time in the nonprofit sector prior. So, really knew that for me, a fit to both my career aspirations, but certainly who I am as a person just really fit me in the ability to take what we call our Christian Horizons ministry and expand it in this new world. It has not been necessarily chartered by us before. So I have spent my time focusing on looking at the work of prior CEOs, identifying where we have opportunity, some of those gaps and maybe missed opportunities, been able to align the opportunity cost against those and really been able to then plan to leverage that. That's the appeal for me is to be able to take the now into the future on the guides of who we are as an organization unapologetically.
0: What are some of those newer missed opportunities? Have you identified those at this yeah, point? You know, my background prior
1: to joining Christian Horizons was in the for-profit AL memory support sector. And so having mastered that environment and understanding not only the resident and associate engagement, how meaningful that is, but really the opportunity to take what really works well in a faith-based organization and be able to penetrate into the market greater. It's not some sort of mystery that I or anybody else has solved it for. I think we all know what's important now to this new market, but it's that when you have a foundation or a structure that works really well, you're really not seizing the opportunity of growth that is very achievable if you put your organization's focus on it. So I think for us, the option of expanding our management, our operating contracts, our biggest right now because we're really good. We're really good at assisted living and memory support from what we call our CH life, which is associate and resident experience. So it's empowering older adults It's through meaning and purpose and not just in a brochure, but really observable tenets and action steps. I learned in my previous organization, which was Pathway to Living, just how good the experience can be when you prioritize internal and external culture around the residents and then the team. And when you can find that and synchronize that, it's powerful. I brought to Christian Horizons a lot that I learned from Maria Oliva and Jerry Finnis, uh, who did it well. And so being able to take that and align it with our ministry's mission is a win for a lot of stakeholders,
0: most especially in the Midwest market. So it's a good plan we have moving forward. Well, speaking of the mission, I know that Christian Horizon Living's mission is to empower older adults in mind, body and spirit through faith led service. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the ways that the mission is realized, especially as relates to senior living communities.
1: Yeah, so our faith-led values are an acronym, actually. So faith obviously aligns to who we are as an organization, but then taking that and applying it to what actually happens when the rubber hits the road. We are an organization that is able to realize our values and see our mission at work. When we apply the immersion or see the immersion between associates and residents. So for a long time in senior living, we focused on the residents are the most important thing or if you don't have the right culinary department, you're not going to win. And so we had to as an organization evaluate what was going to be most important in being able to expand this footprint and we decided as an organization that they aren't separate. In fact, meaningful work and meaningful experiences and purpose-filled living is for everyone and it's also for the families that intersect we talk about the sandwich generation and i'm one of those the sandwich generation is brutal the sandwich generation is we have aging parents who now we're having to sort of keep focused on and then many of us have children who we have to parent and so when we can find a provider for our parents that meet the needs of what they need and also get them to interact and work with the associates, it's a win-win. So we focus our attention on our associates more so than ever during COVID, right? We had to not only find them, we had to keep them. We actually had to delight our associates or our prospective associates. Traditionally, we've never had to do that, right? And so we had to shift our thinking that we needed to actually market ourselves to them versus them marketing themselves to us. And Could have gotten to the point that we send them our resume and hope that it fits with them versus the opposite. But when you start to prioritize them by offering competitive compensation, meaningful benefits and development plans, you'll start to find and keep those great associates who really are working in our space and our industry for the right reasons. One of the other pieces to that is that engagement between the two. So providing opportunities for not just our leaders, but our frontline associates to elevate programs to find out where the connection is between what they're interested in personally and what the residents are interested in personally. We have residents who are peer tutors. We have residents who are into community grade schools sharing their experience as a pilot or sharing their experience as a physician. Tremendous meaning to the residents, but really a great community relationship as part. It's not about being busy. So we don't plan for any of the things that we would have planned for in the past, right? Our residents are more sophisticated and so are their families. And we believe that engagement is the number one priority for both groups. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, kind of a related question. I understand that one of your areas that you focused on as COO was culture development. And I wondered if you could share what you believe makes for a good organizational culture and how an organization arrives at that point.
1: So our focus started with the realization that What used to work in the past doesn't work anymore. And so what I mean by that is that the culture starts from the top of the organization. And if the leader believes that the culture has to start from the top, the leader of the organization has to not only speak about what that looks like, but set the example. So we started with last year with seeking to understand why things are happening. So understanding that we wanted our associates to bring forward suggestions, concerns, barriers and let them know that they're bringing it into a space of quality and process improvement. And it's what we want from them. We're craving that information. They're not gonna tell us anything to hurt our feelings. We wanna know. So once you develop that trust and that's with constant messaging and showing them that they should share and what happens when they do in a positive way, we started to really get from our executive directors to our frontline, a level of engagement that was a situation of oversharing we had more information than I think we actually could digest last year. And it was glaringly evident that what worked in the past, whether it was a process, a workaround, workflow issues, needed to be addressed for associate satisfaction, thus trickling to the resident. And so we didn't overcomplicate this. I think that we said to our associate's we're asking. We'll show you examples when someone does share that, what we did with that, and you'll see those pieces of information you provide back to us are very effective. I'll give you an example. One of the easiest things that we dealt with was our executive directors shared with me early on that the reason why continuing education compliance is so low in their communities because we've oversaturated them with learning modules. So in the past the organization felt like we have our required continuing education depending on the care area we'll populate that in your modules and then we decided it was a great learning tool so we gave them all of these other things well not achievable and not even in the covid environment not achievable for anyone day to day or month to month and so one of the executive directors like I'll never get there because what's presented is overkill so took that information, evaluated it, streamlined, and now our compliance is very high. So it's just taking and listening. The example I gave you was very simple, but you have to be tuned in. You have to seek to understand and you have to ask why. And when you don't, you'll get the responses that kill an organization. Like we've always done it that way. I don't know. I don't know. Instead, there's that accountability and the other thing related to culture we implemented was a RACI chart, some of these fundamental organizational models. So RACI is an acronym, responsible, accountable for, consulted, and informed. So really, who's responsible, who's accountable, who can provide information but is not decisional, and then who needs to be informed of the final decision. And so once we started to take some of the fundamental things we do at our home office level all the way through to the communities, and we're still doing it. People were able to address action steps and timelines to that accountability. And so all of our new job descriptions that get rolled out have racy charts attached to them so they know truly what they're responsible, accountable, consulted, or informed to, and that it was something that our feedback on it was, yes, thank you. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was supposed to do that. Well, when someone doesn't know that, then they don't do it and the goals don't get accomplished. So it's like Some of that fundamental stuff were important.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. While switching gears a little bit, I know another area of focus for you has been pandemic recovery, and you touched on the pandemic. I was wondering if you could share where you think the senior living industry is at in its recovery from the pandemic.
1: Yeah, so focusing on the residential side of post-COVID recovery, we actually as an organization have recovered to pre-COVID levels, so we're flying high because of that. Nationally, we don't see that, but we've seen a pretty substantial trajectory to older adults coming back to seek services. Aside from all of the implications that COVID did healthcare wise to every organization, it really decimated our reputation of being the right option for so many. And so, working through the associations and trying to actually pinpoint and redirect and respond to some of the negative press and others that we were given. We've made headway, but it's still back to basics in developing trust and finding match points. So are we right for everyone? No, we're not, but we're right for a lot. And so finding that connection, so we really having to, providers across the country, really having to evaluate how they assess and connect with their prospects to make that connection again. We can't assume that that's there because we've done assisted living in the United States for, we're probably at 30 years now maybe. But a lot of that was destroyed with COVID. And so we're coming back. And, you know, the NIC data and other data points show that our recovery has been fantastic.
0: That's great. So Christian Horizons Living has plans to expand its life plan community portfolio. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So for
1: us, we started as a provider providing skilled nursing And quickly grew in the 70s and 80s to life plan communities, so offering everything from short-term, long-term skilled, AL, AL memory support, and independent living in several variations, so more concrete, and then we have cottage homes, an incredible set of life plan communities from a needs-based perspective. Those still make sense. Life plan communities still make sense. It's really that insurance plan for older adults and their families as well to know that the next steps are planned for and that the right care and services when needed, maybe never needed, are in place as a backdrop. And so we still believe in the life plan community model. But from that regard, we're looking to primarily stay in our Midwest footprint. So we're not going to go out and develop a new build of a life plan community. That's not on our plan for the next two years. But we certainly will look at opportunities of those providers that are looking to step away from it for some reason or another. Our most significant growth plan, though, in the next 24 months comes on growing our AL operating agreements. Back to what I said earlier, it's just we know what works well. We know the market that we we're in. We never want to scale bigger than the Midwest market at this point because we're so in tune with this marketplace. And coastal states are just the residents are different. And we're able to really niche that out. We also, as an organization, have hospice, and we have pharmacy, and we have our Pace Center in St. Louis. So we've been able to grow within ourselves to really maximize the senior living space. So again, strategically growing those programs where they make sense. Where they don't is probably our biggest challenge. This past year, we've actually discontinued skilled nursing operations in two of our life plan communities. The inflationary and COVID impacts on those business, uh, on the backs of reimbursement, have been destructive to skilled nursing across the country. And we made a decision last year that we were going to ensure that all of our communities were in and of themselves solvent and not dependent upon each other and in our foundation. And at the end of the day, really hard decisions. I commend our own executive leadership team, led by me, that we were on site. We had the meetings with families. We had the meetings with residents. And we really faced this really challenging time together. And we're honest about what's going on and why we have to make the change. But also with the promise that we're going to grow the same organization the same way. So we have to contract. And programs and services have to make sense. And those that do, we need to expand on. That's really hard when you're a faith-based organization because there's a misunderstanding about this unending pool of dollars to support those that need that. And, and while we've been, for the last 63 years, been able to do that moving forward and in order to create that viability, we need to just think a little bit differently. So that is part of that culture as well, where the executive directors really have a key understanding of their financials, what their wins are and what their losses are and where to focus on. That nimbleness is the only way to keep those individual communities solvent.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have specific plans for skilled nursing in the future?
1: Yeah, I don't think for us, we will ever grow our skilled nursing business. I think for our life plan communities, it's in part of it, but skilled nursing is challenged in different ways than assisted living is. The scrutiny of the regulators has been brutal to us, and we struggle with finding a balance between finding talent and controlling expenses in that environment. Everything, on average, we're up about, we're still up about 17% in expenses pre-COVID, most of them on the differences in labor costs and then our commodities, our food. And so we anticipate that that will, at least from the commodity standpoint, fix itself down the road, but we don't know when. And we certainly can't be in wait mode. And I think that that's, a big challenge, financing and banking relationships. So we're in a precarious situation in our industry where the banks are actually you know, shoring up their own capital. And so in general, the banks haven't been interested in senior living providers the last probably 18 months because we're risky for them somewhat with our occupancy levels coming back and expense management. Our types of organizations are more risky. But With that said, the opportunity and the growth is there. So it's really just kind of dark space before the light. And I think that we'll get there. We just have to sort of ride through this current by making good and nimble decisions.
0: Mm -hmm. So what else will you be focused on as president and CEO?
1: So three things, and this is the direction directly to the team. And I feel like I say it every day, and I think I do. And I think it's important to keep us focused. So our three priorities are maximizing revenue. We maximize revenue three different ways. Obviously, filling our communities is the obvious, but it's also in being paid for the care and services we provide. Whether it's in skilled or whether it's in AL, one of the biggest things that in every organization I've worked with or been with is getting paid for the care we provide. We have, in assisted living, at times been afraid to actually ask to be paid for the care that we provide. And so we've inserted care levels. And taught the teams how to have those conversations that it's okay to be reimbursed for the care that we provide because we have to pay for that. So, as long as we're explaining the why, goes back to seeking to understand, explaining the why, they're more comfortable with it. The other thing about maximizing reimbursement is just in, in growth, seizing those opportunities to grow the business. The second priority that we have is streamlining efficiencies and workflow. So, mitigating and eliminating workarounds based on a person's preferences. We really are using benchmark data to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make the work the job, especially our frontline teams, as easy as it can be, maybe as least restrictive as it can be, to really be focused on what's important, and that's the actual care and services of the residents. Nobody needs to be overburdened, and as a matter of fact, people won't work like that. So we have to continuously find better ways. We're using tech for that. And then certainly our business insights are, our business intelligence are really important to us. And it's kind of fun. And then the third priority to the team is just our CH life, our resident associate experience. Find ways to say yes. And that includes for our residents, things that they don't think is achievable in this next chapter of their life. Instead, we say, oh my gosh, that is absolutely achievable. Let's figure it out. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes families say, oh, no, no, we're not doing those kind of things. Or the doctor says, "Uh, I don't know. But from a risk standpoint, better for us to have a resident thrive than put us at risk for all of the other things by not being able to serve that resident. So that's sort of the fun part about what we do. And this industry used to be a lot of fun. It really did. And I explained to the team, my why is about the impact that I can make in this role, because It feels so good to do the work that we do. The last couple of years have been painful, but we rise. Our industry is probably the most nimble as they come. We have been flow. We just wish there weren't as many of those.
0: (laughs) What do you think it's going to take to get back to being fun?
1: The right culture, first of all. Mm -hmm. I want anyone to walk into any of our communities and feel as if they're home. They're in the right place. Mm -hmm. That they actually can see themselves living there or mom and dad living there or working there, that ours are sort of the beacon of the community, well-respected because of what they see. We're able to do that only as it starts with culture. If we keep our culture true and transparent and celebrate, we'll be great. We need to celebrate our wins. And that's a change in the culture that we have as well.
0: Now, I know you have 20 years of leadership experience in senior services and older adult living, touched on how the industry has changed, but what are some of the major ways that the field has changed in that 20-year period? Yeah, so I think
1: senior living providers, whether skilled or AL or independent living, were kind of a staple in a community or an area. People had an idea where they may want to live in was... Well, sort of the best option for older adults and what changed the most was that a person's home actually became a viable future place for them with home and community-based services entering the marketplace and so when we started to see that providers had to say well why then are we still the best option so we were able to focus on the things that living at home wasn't able to provide and mainly that's security and isolation mitigation So that engagement and feeling of safety is still the key areas where we have a differential. In its entirety, our industry will probably serve, I think, the last statistic I read was about 4% of the 85-plus population. So that 96% who either don't need any services and end up passing away or seek services at home is a tremendous challenge for us. And then certainly the entrance of new providers into the space. So An organization like Christian Horizons, who's been doing this for 60 years, now sees a tremendous amount of competition. There's always a shiny nickel being developed in every community. And so it's really important for providers to stay relevant through updates and renovations, for sure. But most importantly, those intangibles, and that's through the experience you get. Mm -hmm.
0: And I know Christian Horizons Living has a PACE program. Is that to get more involved in that area? Right. So PACE is a program that
1: really serves the Medicaid population in St. Louis. We have a great partnership with the state of Missouri to serve those that are at home. And they really want to support the least restrictive environment. And so a person that qualifies for PACE both financially, but also the PACE Center is able to provide everything from internal medicine, regular care, to therapy, to adult day and to transportation and dining so it really takes a person from being shut in their home due to health care generally some sort of health care or memory care to being immersed in a more social setting and them to have all of those needs taken care of at once pace actually is a really good program under the private pay sector as well i mean the benefit for a participant in pace is substantial challenge with PACE, though, for an organization like ours is we just finished year one, but we're still in startup mode. And PACE as an organization or program type isn't as well known across the United States. So we have to create awareness in that St. Louis space by providers to make sure that they know that this is an option for their patients. And so that generally takes a little while. We're about 50 percent enrollments. It's tracking to our pro forma but it's something that is a slow development. But it's home and community-based services. We started our own pharmacy. We started our own hospice. For a while, we were doing our own home care, so our non-medical needs. But we don't do that to create revenue outside of the organization. It's really for us to support our own network
0: within. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what else do you think the future holds for senior living, especially residential senior living, but overall?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely the invigoration of active adult communities and the next generation, the baby boomers will be really interested in an active adult where they sort of have a more hotel hospitality-like environment, can get services a la carte, but not many. And they're really looking at engagement as their most important piece. They don't want to live at home because they don't want to take care of yards anymore. And they're really looking for a congregate space that meets all of their needs. Active adult is interesting because it's different in, say, the state of Illinois or the state of Missouri than it is in Florida. And really, that's just based on the migration trends. And then certainly weather plays a part. So an active adult community in the state of Illinois might not have all the same offerings as in Florida because it doesn't make financial sense. So every opportunity has with it barriers along with it. but I So I think there'll be an increase in active adults. I don't know why there wouldn't be once this time period of challenges for capital and those things kind of shore up themselves. And then I think that there will always be a continued growth in AL memory support. We know that dementia is not going away. Our populace is getting greater and greater. I think it's 10,000 every day, turn 65. Dementia 20 years later, commonly. So there will be that I think it'll be neat to see how al can adapt to support dementia needs without restrictive memory support without restricted memory support neighborhoods and so what i mean by that is using tech and ai and those sort of features that are so prevalent now in a space to keep them in an al setting so reminders and concierge services all ai and tech delivered uh, to a person's apartment Reminding them of what's important in the moment or that time of day or things they should be doing or things that they like to do and really keeping them in that least restrictive, vibrant AL instead of a more contained space. That's hard. That's a hard transition where I think we can do it. I think we can do it in AL and do it well. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you mentioned active adult. I wondered if Christian Horizons Living had any specific plans related to active adult. Yeah,
1: so we are not digging in the ground at all right now. We're really watching what's happening in the market, certainly looking at opportunities. It's really interesting. There are a lot of opportunities to take a distressed asset and turn it into active adult. There's a lot out there. Right now, our next 18 months is really shoring up our core communities, growing AL memory support. That said, we do actually have a shovel-ready plan for an active adult community. But we did not start that dig during COVID. And we have not gone back to securing partner and financing around that yet. We're just not ready yet. So our fiscal year just started, started July 1. And so I'm hoping this year, next year, this time next year, we'll see it a little bit differently. Okay.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't discussed? No, I think what's been really
1: neat about my transition from the CEO, to the CEO role is that for the teams in the field, those most important things, nothing changes. We still have a culture that is always evolving and doing better, and we are thriving in a space where we belong. And so we feel good about that. I will tell you that since during the organization last year, I brought us to be involved more in Argentum and more in Nick and being in the places where partners are. And I think that that's really helped us expand where we were to where we could be going and mission and values intact. So it's really cool actually to be able to do that, the combination of both.
0: Well, best wishes to you going forward. And I really appreciate you speaking with me today. This has been Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight Senior Living with Kate Bertram, president and CEO of Christian Horizons Living. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in senior living news, visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com.